Hey everybody, it's Pastor James. Welcome back with our midweek Bible study. Today we're going to finish up chapter 12 with ease as there's only 10 verses to sift through uh, to finish up this chapter. Now, <clears throat> during the second half, uh, Paul expresses his deep concern of love for the Corinthians and let's see how he goes about doing that as he continues his unique way of communicating with his church. Uh, he's used a lot of sarcasm. He's used a lot of uh, analogies, a lot of different things over the course of this book. So let's see what he uses today as he's communicating his love and concern for them. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through 21. Let's read this together. If you have, you have made me act like a fool, you ought to be writing commendations for me, for I am not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing at all. <clears throat> when I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle. For I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. The only thing I failed to do, which I do in the other churches, was to become a financial burden to you. Please forgive me for this wrong. Now I am coming to you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you. I don't want what you have. I want you. After all, children don't provide for their parents. Rather, parents provide for their children. I will gladly spend myself and all I have for you, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Some of you admit I was not a burden to you, but others still think I was sneaky and took advantage of you by trickery. But how did any of the men I sent to you take advantage of you? When I urged Titus to visit you and sent our brother with him, did Titus take advantage of you? No, for we have the same spirit and walk in each other's steps, doing things the same way. Perhaps you think we're saying these things just to defend ourselves. No, we tell you this as Christ's servants, and with God as our witness. Everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you, for I am afraid that when I come I won't like what I find, and you won't like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Yes, I am afraid that when I come again God will humble me in your presence. <clears throat> and I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. Alright, so Paul has confessed to acting like a fool once again as he's talked about the bragging and all those things, but only because the Corinthians have made him do it. Now, Paul's been boasting since chapter 10, so it's basically been two and a half chapters of Paul being sarcastic in his uh, boasting, and I'm throwing up my hands with quotation marks as I'm saying that, as he defends his apostleship before he comes to visit the Corinthians one last time. So Paul is planning on coming after this letter uh, meets the Corinthians. And uh, he actually says that the Corinthians should be the ones who is bragging on Paul and boasting about him and giving him recommendations because of what he has done among them. And uh, Paul refers once again to these super apostles, and I'm throwing up my quotations again, um, because these are the ones who are challenging him. These are the ones who have led the Corinthians astray, and they're the ones who are uh, causing the division and dissension among this church. And so Paul's battle is still against them, and as he's <clears throat> defending himself and talking about all these things, he is boasting, but he's doing it in a sarcastic manner, which is really kind of against his character. 
And anyone who would have known Paul would have known this as they were reading this letter. And you have to remember that Paul isn't claiming to be anything spectacular. That's really important. Paul acknowledges that there's nothing special about him, but he refuses to accept that he is inferior to these apostles in any way. Paul talks about the proof that he gave them. And Paul said that he patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles. And I don't know about you guys, but these so-called super apostles were not doing anything miraculous or wonderful um, <clears throat> among these people, but rather they were demanding things from them and taking from these people. But Paul talks about the proof that he gave them. And Paul gives ample evidence of his calling from Christ. And we see this over the past two chapters. And on top of that, <clears throat> we once again read how Paul refused to take money from them. That's really important that Paul once again mentions that he didn't take money from them. And in fact, <clears throat> you know, you, you really have to come to an understanding eventually that money must have been an enormous hindrance for the Corinthians. As Paul constantly brought up this issue, he constantly referred to the fact that he never took a dime from them. <clears throat> and uh, it, it must have been something that they constantly struggle with because Paul made sure that he stayed away from receiving any financial compensation from them. So... In verse 14, we see that Paul is announcing that he's going to be visiting for the third time. And this is going to be his final visit. <coughs> and it's important to know that he's not trying to sneak up on them or surprise them anyway. But rather, he lets them know that he's coming because he wants them to be prepared. He wants them to know that he's coming so that they can be ready and in whatever way they need to be prepared in, that they can go ahead and make those preparations before Paul arrives. Because he says once again that he will not be a burden to them, but he wants to care for them because they're his children. And if you read it carefully, that whole aspect is kind of, it's kind of romantic in a way. I mean, like, for, for lack of better terms, um... Paul doesn't want what the Corinthians have. He just wants them. He, he wants to minister them. He wants to love them. He wants to care for them. And it's kind of like, <coughs> excuse me, it's kind of like a parent trying to love a teenager. And a typical teenager runs from love and affection as they're seeking freedom and, and independence. They know as long as they lean into mom and dad and allow them to love them and take care of them and do things for them, and provide for them that there will always be a dependence on them and that it will restrict their freedom and their ability to kind of move out on their own and progress. So teenagers a lot of times begin to pull away from their parents in that way because they want the freedom, they want the independence, they want to prove themselves. And um, it's kind of like Paul's this parent who's wanting to love on these kids. And it's also this situation where if you've listened in for any amount of time, you've always heard me say this, you know, when a <clears throat> when a man pursues a woman, especially a young man is pursuing a young woman, um, if the woman likes that man, then basically whatever gesture he gives her is romantic because she likes him and she is wanting to receive from him. 
If the girl does not like the boy, then it doesn't matter how kind or courteous or thoughtful the gesture is. The gesture is always perceived as creepy and unwanted. And, uh, you know, you have to understand in this moment that as Paul is dealing with the Corinthians, he, uh, he loves them, he cares dearly for them, he is highly invested in them, he has already made great sacrifices for them, and in that, he, he is wanting to be a part of their lives. <clears throat> now, we know from the letter that most of the people have repented and want to welcome Paul back in, but there's still a small group that just does not want Paul. And it doesn't matter what he does or what he says, they're just refusing to acknowledge him as an apostle and they don't want him to come back in. So Paul is dealing with that in this situation. He loves these people. He genuinely loves these people. He cares for them. He wants to minister to them. And uh, it isn't a matter of choice, but it's a matter of evil intentions and it's a matter of these things that have crept into much of their lives as we have already read about some of the things that some of the sins that have crept into these people in the congregation and we'll talk about that some more in a few minutes but you know Paul is dealing with <clears throat> really a, an attitude of the heart of just a few people that are left opposing him <clears throat> and Paul talks about gladly spending himself and all he has for these people and if you're a parent and if you've had if you've raised especially teenagers many of you will probably understand um what it's like to be willing to give all that you are and everything you have for your children and yet no matter what you do no matter how much you love them no matter how much you care for them your children just seem to Refuse, and it's almost like they. The more you love them, the less they love you. Um, the more you love, the more they pull away. And it's sad, but it's a very true theme in most people's lives as they raise teenagers. And we see that Paul. He's obviously been accused of being sneaky and trying to take advantage of this church through trickery. <clears throat> but Paul once again defends himself and his companions to the bitter end. Titus, the other brother that came with Titus, and Paul himself have never received anything from these people. And obviously, there's a huge issue with stewarding their wealth among the Corinthian people. And that's kind of interesting as we just talked about that on Sunday morning a couple weeks ago. But uh, Paul is very adamant that God will defend him about everything that's been done that God knows he's telling the truth that he's never received anything from them and that he has only loved and sacrificed for them. Um, everything that Paul and Titus and their brother has done has been meant to strengthen the Corinthians and to build them up. Now, <clears throat> in verses 20 and 21, we read about the sin that um, the reality of the sin that has been allowed to creep in among these believers. And Paul writes about how he is afraid of what he will find, that when he shows up, he, he's going to find. And it's not, Paul's not focused on necessarily the, the opposition to him in this. He knows that there are still going to be a few people who are opposed to him no matter what when he gets there. But what he's afraid of finding 
is quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. And these are just some of the things that have been reported to Paul that these Corinthians are dealing with. So even though when you read that, that list of adjectives that have been written down by Paul that he's afraid he's going to find, it seems very terrible <clears throat> and it is terrible because it's terrible when sin is present among the church. It's terrible when sin is present in Christians' lives. But you can be somewhat comforted in the fact that uh, James writes about most of these things in chapter 3 of his epistle. And Paul writes about most of these things um, in his epistle to the church of Galatia in chapter 5. And you, you, you got to remember in this that as these letters are being written in the New Testament, most of these letters are being written to young Christians. And so they're still dealing with a lot of things in their life. And so <coughs> it's very important for us as believers to understand that, you know, when someone gives their heart and life to Christ, they're not going to be perfect. That there's still going to be a great deal of, of sinfulness and immaturity and selfishness and things that each individual Christian is going to have to work through. And, and the Corinthian church as a whole, all of them were young Christians. At most, they had been saved about a year and a half at this time. And Paul writes about all this, not only to the Corinthians, but to the Galatians. James writes it to the Christians he's writing to. And... Um, so this is just, it's its common for young believers to deal with these things. And so if you're listening to this and you got a, a kid in your home that's struggling with this, or if you got a young adult that you know of who's struggling with this, anyone who's just professed faith in Jesus Christ are probably going to be dealing with these things. Pray for them, love them, minister to them. It's not good that these things are present, but it's not abnormal for them to be present in a young Christian's life as God continues to work in them and fills them with the Spirit. God will slowly and eventually work on all these things in their life. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, here's the true kicker. This is the telltale. Paul is afraid of how he will find the Corinthians because the spiritual health of the Corinthians will be the true indicator as to how great of an apostle Paul really is. You know, Paul knows this whole time that he is an apostle. He's been called by Christ. His gifts and his calling came from Christ himself. Paul is confident in that. And we've been reading this whole book of 2 Corinthians where Paul has been boasting because he is defending his apostleship against these false apostles who are constantly boasting about themselves. But Paul understands completely that the measure of his effectiveness as an apostle is going to be measured by the spirituality of these people upon his arrival. So I'm going to say that again. The spiritual health of the Corinthians will be the true indicator as to how great of an apostle Paul really is. So Paul has been boasting foolishly because he knows that he has no power, and he's admitted that. He has no power. 
He can do nothing without Christ, that Christ's strength is made perfect in his weakness, that Christ is glorified in his weakness. And the thing that will truly humble Paul and make him feel unworthy and unsuccessful is going to be him showing up and all of the sins that's been reported to him to be present in the lives of those people in that church and to not be repentant of <clears throat> So, Paul knows that sin breeds sin, and he knows that there are things in these people's lives that they have refused to repent of, and as a result, the sin has opened up the door for them to be led astray by these false apostles. If there is sin... It will grow. Sin is a cancer. Sin is something that as long as it's there, it will constantly grow. Until it is completely removed, it will grow. And Paul knows that. And truly, the sin that has been allowed to enter into these, these young Christians has made room for these false apostles to come in and truly lead them astray and hold them captive and really hold them in bondage, which Christianity is meant to free us from bondage. So, <clears throat> sin is the problem. And as Paul said a couple of chapters ago, Christ is not the problem. The gospel is not the problem. Those things have never changed. And, and what Paul has been saying over the past 12 chapters is he's not the problem. But the problem is, is that Sin has bred more sin and has created an atmosphere for so many other things to come in and take place and take root. So Satan has been loosed among them, and Satan's really had a field day with these people. But repentance <clears throat> is the power that puts Satan back in the bottle. You know, the, the, the whole term, put, we got to put the genie back in the bottle to, to re remove the chaos. Repentance is the power that puts Satan back in his bottle. And it keeps him from destroying the works of God. And so today, as we close out, I just want to ask you, how are you doing in that area? Have you repented of everything in your life? Have you repented of the sin that is present in your life? Don't let anything stand between you and Christ. If there is something in your life that you know is sinful, that you know is wrong, you need to get on your hands and knees right now and ask God to forgive you of it and to help you hate the sin that is there. Because the truth is, we as people have a sinful nature and we enjoy the sin. That's why we do it, because sin is enjoyable for a season. Scripture says that. But <clears throat> we have to get to the point where we have the heart and mind of Christ, where we hate the sin as much as He does. But we have to pray for God to fill us with His Spirit to give us that same hatred that He has for sin so that we don't keep falling into it. Don't let anything come between you and Christ. Cry out to Him. Ask for forgiveness. Pray that God will, will take away the desire in your life to live in sin. That He will remove it from your life and cleanse you and fill you with the Holy Spirit to where that is removed that the Holy Spirit can come in and fill you in its place so that you are whole and you don't feel like there's something that's missing in your life that you need to go back to. <clears throat> and this is what Paul's trying to prevent with the Corinthians. You know, he really does want them to be repentive. He wants them to be free of sin. He wants them to be free of bondage. And, um, you know, as you read what Paul is trying to convince them to do, 
you know, you have to ask yourself this question, will you do everything that you can do to make sure that this doesn't happen in your life and in your family and in your church? Because the truth is, where sin is allowed, sin will grow. It will take up root in your life and it will grow in you and it will spread to your children, your husbands, your wives, your grandchildren, your church family, it will grow and it will affect everyone around you. So repent of it, cry out to the Lord, ask him to help you to move beyond it. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everything you bless us with. I pray that you would guide us as we live for you and serve you. Help us to honor you with our lives and all that we do. We love you and thank you and pray that you would help us to seek your face to seek out forgiveness, and to be filled with your Holy Spirit to remove the desire and the need to fill the holes in our life with sin, but God, that we would fill those holes with you. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. And if you can't catch us on campus at our services, watch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. Have a great week, guys.